Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the host of the show. Today I've got Brant Daughtry and Brooks Childress with me with me on this last day of the week for us. Again, no show on Friday, and so this will kind of be our de facto Friday. Uh, we will have a lot of things to talk about as we get set for another weekend in sports. Uh, some different sporting events than what we've been talking about coming up on the horizon this weekend uh, that will be worth mentioning. That will be in our best at, or not best and worst, but uh, in our what to watch for over the weekend uh, at the towards the end of the show. We'll also preview Auburn and Vanderbilt recap last night's action in the SEC and look forward to another weekend's action in the SEC and in college basketball. And uh, will be a lot of fun today. Also, all of your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Birthdays in sports and a nightly TV guide to conclude the show as well. Again, Ryan, Brant, and Brooks with me here today. Fellas, how are you guys doing today? Feeling great, man. Uh, glad to be here. Um, happy, happy about the... You know, the first time that I choose to go to a game this season by myself, uh, and it's that one, you know, against Missouri, and just a lot of fun watching that game. Actually got moved down to the student section, uh, which is a story that I'll tell, I'm sure, uh, as we go further into the show, but had a great time doing that, and it looks like Auburn's kind of starting to get its swagger back, at least for one game, so uh, hopefully that continues going forward. And yeah, baseball season, softball season has started, uh, baseball season is on the horizon, and uh, we're watching golf in the studio as well. So there's a lot going on, and we're uh, continuing to build as the year continues to grow. Yes, we will have to mention grow. talk a, <laughs> talk a little bit about Auburn baseball as well as they get ready for a weekend series against Indiana to open up their season. Of course, Auburn softball at home for the first time this weekend. So a lot of events uh, around Auburn and just a, a lot going on in the sports world. Brooks is also here. Brooks will only be here for about half the show today because you will hear him over on FM Talk 93.9 help out with the Auburn women's basketball game that's now rescheduled to 5 o'clock tonight, also doing halftime. So we'll only have Brooks for about half of this show, uh, but good to have you here again, sir. Yeah, it's great to be back in studio this week, second time on the week and last time on the week because we won't have a show tomorrow. Uh, and so can't wait to uh, get to all of our callers. Yeah, it's it's been a fun week of sports and you know it, it last night you saw the uh the number one team in the country once again i think this is like what the fourth time this year the number one team has lost uh double it 
because oh, eighth time eighth time uh, it's tied for the i actually uh i actually took note of this because i thought this might uh, come up on the show uh eighth loss by a ap number one team uh that is tied for the most in a regular season since the 1993-94 season man it's a lot of losses and of course uh we're talking about that the number one team alabama crimson tide falling last night on the road at tennessee and it was uh it, you know it was a, it was a fun game to watch tennessee uh, had been slumping for a little while, and now they, they picked it up last night. Played, got, got the energy from their crowd. I think they're they're uh, they're saying up there in Rocky Top is quote feed the floor, and the uh, the the crowd did feed the floor last night. They were uh, they were on fire. They they played a really good basketball game last night. Alabama is still a really darn good basketball team, uh, but the curse of number one this year continues to rear its ugly head in the uh, in the world of men's college basketball at least. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that. And we a lot of a lot of fun stuff coming up this weekend with Auburn basketball back in action, both men's and women's. Auburn softball back in action. Auburn baseball starting things up this weekend. So can't wait to talk about all of it. Yeah, we concluded yesterday's show uh, for the most part talking about uh, the, the preview of last night's SEC action, and it did not disappoint. Uh, the three games that we hit on the most. Uh, were all competitive games that went down towards the wire. Of course, the Florida Ole Miss game also existed, and Florida had no problem uh, with Ole Miss there. But Tennessee able to defeat Alabama, sixty-eight to fifty-nine. That one was in Knoxville. Kentucky went to Starkville and beat Mississippi State, seventy-one to sixty-eight, cooling off the suddenly hot Mississippi State Bulldogs. And then Texas A&M and Arkansas, big one. In the SEC, not only for the standings in reverence to, to A&M, but also, again, any, pretty much all these teams not named Alabama and Tennessee still trying to improve the NCAA tournament resume just to make sure all things are good. They don't have to do anything at the very end here. And A&M able to defeat Arkansas 62-56, so now two consecutive losses uh, for Arkansas all of a sudden. And it keeps A&M in the SEC title race, given that Alabama lost last night. Still think it's looking very good for Alabama with A&M's remaining schedule. But Alabama now 12 and one in the SEC. A&M still at are now at 11 and two, and so A&M still just one game back there. And again, to go through these standings, updated Tennessee has third to themselves now. They are nine and four, tied for fourth is Auburn and Kentucky at eight and five. And of course, those two will match up. Uh, coming up here in just another week and a half or so. And then Missouri and Vanderbilt and Florida, all seven and six in the league. So that's kind of de facto six through eighth. Arkansas dropping to just six and seven in the league. I know they have a little bit better of a non-conference resume, but now six and seven in the SEC uh, could end up below 500, depending on what they've got going on. And then the uh, the rest of the teams in the league, Georgia six and seven and 16 and 10 overall. And then Mississippi State five and eight, seventeen and nine overall, just like Arkansas seventeen and nine, and then the other three teams also exist. So, <laughs> uh, what do, what were the takeaways for you guys last night between kind of those main three games of, of Bama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Arkansas and M? Just what stands out to you uh, from SEC play last night? Did not watch a second of them, Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just, just the fact that the, the Tennessee team is not dead yet. And I think, you know, we, it started to, you know, like we said a minute ago, Tennessee started to slump a little bit, uh, and they, they didn't look their best. They're, they're still a top 10 team. 
and they they showed last night they could still play with the top teams in the country uh even if it was at home you know it you know it could be different if they had to play them in coleman coliseum but they they were fortunate enough to get alabama at home this year that crowd was behind them but it still showed that they they've got talent on that roster and they can play they can play with some of the best teams in the country and they're a team that you got to watch out for when it comes to uh march time when it comes to that sec tournament and especially when it comes to the ncaa tournament because they're a team that's you know that it not dead yet in the water and they they'll, they could very well they could very well you know if, if alabama slips up you know time or two more it could be they could be sitting there eyeing that number one seed in the SEC tournament at the when it, when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think um, I I truly was surprised by that result because Tennessee had a couple injuries that were late breaking, a couple guys that ended up not playing in that game, and Tennessee was favored by three. And I was a little surprised by that when we talked a little bit about it yesterday, but I was wrong there. Tennessee made it a very physical game, and that's kind of the way they have to win. They're not a very good offensive team, but they are an excellent defensive team. And they were able to get Alabama uh, all out of sorts. I think Alabama had 12 or 13 first-half turnovers. They ended up for the game having 19 to Tennessee's 8. That's 11 extra possessions that Tennessee was able to get. And, look, neither team shot the ball well. Tennessee was at 36.5%. Alabama was at 35.5%. Bama did make some threes, and they made their free throws. But those 11 extra possessions, uh, a big deal there in a low-scoring game like that. And and so Tennessee able to get that win. I thought it was interesting that Kentucky continues just to be a a very hot-and-cold team in that they have every opportunity with their talent to go on a run. And they tried to do that for a few games and then ultimately uh, have picked up a couple of losses recently. But then when they have the opportunity to really fold up and, and go on a long losing streak, they then fight their way off of that. This is just – it turns out to be just a very average basketball team that, that, that uh, is truly a bubble team. They uh, are good enough to beat some decent teams. They've got enough talent to do that. But they're also just truly not the talented Kentucky team that we've seen – uh, for most of Cal Perry's tenure that just out-talents people. And so they play in a lot of close games. They've had some questionable losses. And to me, Kentucky just – there is nothing – there's not a lot to them this year. They're, they're just they're just okay. And, and they live on that bubble. And so they beat Mississippi State, which they absolutely needed to do because Mississippi State had replaced them in the last four in, according to Lenardi, coming into that game. And so now that has reversed, and now Kentucky's in the last four in, and uh, Mississippi State's in the first four out. So that was a had-to-have-it game from Kentucky. But again, it's just kind of mind-blowing that they have just not been able to get anything going, but at the same time would have the opportunity to fall completely apart and haven't done that either. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the net rankings now just to put some numbers behind what you're saying. Let, let's look at, you know, you, you divide based on difficulty, based on how good your opponent is. You divide it up into four quads, and obviously quad four is the worst, quad one is the best. Their quad, their quads, two through four records are, uh, quick math, 15 and two against against teams probably, let's say, out of the top 50. I think yeah. that's about what net ranking yeah. considers a quad two, quad one team is inside the top 50. The their t- their quad one record though is two and seven. Teams in the top fifty are just wearing Kentucky out right now. They can't beat really good teams. Now they beat up on teams that are not very good, but the team the teams that are more experienced that have better players 
that can match their talent level just absolutely give them give them hell and it's it's they're they're 40th in the net right now that's firmly in the tournament seating but it's so much lower than we're used to seeing Kentucky teams well and 40s does end up usually being bubble because remember 15 to 20 teams get in below that because they win their small conferences the the Texas Southerns and the Robert Morrises of the world they they go and win their conference tournament their their net's got obviously we're going to be well below and that's also what makes you nervous about the bubble because this will become more relevant uh, come conference tournament time here in two or three weeks but you assume that this bubble is correct but then there's also a couple surprise conference tournament winners that would not necessarily make the field otherwise i'll give you a really good example it looks for all the world that florida atlantic out of conference usa will go to the tournament no matter what they only have two losses this year they're ranked 25th in the ap poll Lenardi seeds them only as a 10 seed, which I think is a bit disrespectful. But nevertheless, they unless they fall completely apart, lose three or four in a row, they're going to make the NCAA tournament no matter if they win the Conference Crusades tournament or not. Well, one of Florida Atlantic's two losses this year is to UAB, a team that was very potentially uh, coming or coming into the year was potentially supposed to be better than Florida Atlantic. They've had injuries to Jelly Walker uh, and, and not panned out in some close games but uab's resume they beat florida atlantic at bartow uh, by double figures for most of the game and then they had a six point lead on florida atlantic with three minutes left at florida atlantic and blew it so that is a game that you could very much see uh, or, or a conference you could very much see uab beat florida atlantic or even north texas who is actually now getting considered in air quotes by Joe Lenardi. He's like the number 81 team, so they're out of the tournament by like by like 12 spots right now. North Texas could go win that conference as well in the conference tournament, and then you'd have two from CUSA, whereas you'd really only have one uh, outside of the auto bid. That could happen in a conference like the Mountain West. Uh, all these conferences that are better than mid-majors but they're not power conferences those conferences usually produce one team that is worthy enough to be in the ncla tournament at large however if they don't win the league if they don't win the league tournament then somebody else goes that shrinks the bubble by one or two so you got to look at the mountain west you got to look at conference usa you got to look at the american conferences that only have one or two really good teams yes houston's awesome but what if they or memphis did not win the aac that's a bill a a bid steal excuse me so uh that kind of bracket math is going to be very interesting here in the coming weeks once we actually get to the conference tournaments because we operate under the assumption that the bubble will not change but of course march madness is not exclusive just to the ncaa tournament the madness really begins with conference tournaments and all the wacky finishes we see out there and so that could end up shrink the shrinking the bubble that makes kentucky mississippi, mississippi state last night all the more important in all those bubble games like it we need to take our first time out of the show when we come back birthdays and sports and also a trip to the auburn make phone line in a few minutes this is the thursday edition of sports call Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. 
I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Daughtry with you here. Again, reminder, going to remind you probably every single uh, segment of the show today or just about. Uh, no show on Friday. Auburn softball doubleheader and sign of Jane B. Moorefield. And so, again, for the next couple of Fridays, no Friday show. So that we're treating this kind of like the Friday show. We'll break down basketball over the weekend Got a lot of different sporting events. Got to preview Auburn baseball. Got to preview this Auburn and Vanderbilt game, which is going to be an interesting one. So a lot to accomplish on the show today. Before we go any further, though, let's do something we do each and every day. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. Birthdays in Sports today presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn, the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. We're going to celebrate three birthdays that are today, and we'll give you one bonus one. Jerome Bettis turns 51. Bettis was born in Detroit, where he was Gatorade Player of the Year in high school as a linebacker and running back. Played three seasons at Notre Dame. Let's go Irish. And as a sophomore, set the school record for touchdowns in a season, a record that stands today. Declared for the draft after his junior season, was taken 10th overall by the Rams in 1993. Spent three seasons in St. Louis before being traded to the Steelers, where he spent the remaining 10 seasons of his career. Six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, 2001 Walter Payton Man of the Year, and one-time Super Bowl champion. He is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Most know him as the bus. Jerome Bettis turns 51 today. Bus! John McEnroe turns 64. Former tennis pro McEnroe was born to American parents in West Germany who moved to New York when he was nine months old. Won several junior majors as an amateur and played at Stanford. Go Cardinal. Where he won both a team and an individual national title as a freshman. In 1979, began his pro pro career and one of the most dominant of all time. Over his career, he won seven majors in singles and nine in doubles play. He's one of two men ever to hold the number one ranking in both singles and doubles and the only male ever to hold both at the same time. His 1984 singles record of 82-3 remains the best win rate of all time. 82-3 in anything normally good. John McEnroe turns 64 today. Getting up there. 82-3 is a solid, solid way to be. Most things in life, if I'm 82-3, I'm pretty good. Unless you're like, I don't know. Gino Ariema and UConn for a few years there, or mm. what? Uh, what South Carolina is doing now? Other than that, eighty-two and three, pretty damn good. George Martin turned sixty-nine, former Giants defensive end. Martin was born in South Carolina and played college football in Oregon. Let's go Ducks. He was taken in the eleventh round, of the nineteen seventy-five draft by the Giants, where he spent the entirety of his fourteen-year NFL career. He was a team captain for several seasons, including on the team that won the Super Bowl in 1987. In 1985, Martin set the record for career touchdowns by a defensive player with seven, a record that has still not been broken. He is a member of the Giants' Ring of Honor. George Martin turns 69 today. And then turning 60 tomorrow, again, no show. 
tomorrow, so we'll celebrate one of those birthdays today. Michael Jordan turns 60, former NBA guard. Jordan was born in Brooklyn and moved from North Carolina where he was, when he was five, was a McDonald's All-American in high school, and played college basketball at North Carolina. Go Heels. In three years in Chapel Hill, Jordan was a two-time All-American, two-time USA Basketball Player of the Year, ACC Athlete of the Year, and NCAA Tournament Champion. In 1984, Jordan left UNC and was drafted third overall by the Bulls. Two teams regretted that immediately, (laughs) where he spent the majority of his 15-year NBA career with the Bulls. Over that span, he established himself as one of the best players in NBA history. I will revise that say the best player in NBA history. Second LeBron. He was a 14-time All-Star, five-time MVP. 10-time NBA scoring champion, 9-time All-Defensive team. He did play defense too, folks. 2-time slam dunk contest winner. Unlike LeBron. 6-time NBA Finals champion and 6-time Finals MVP. His number 23 is retired by both the Bulls and North Carolina. Michael Jordan, the GOAT, turns 60 today. And those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. We need to take our next time out of the show. We'll go to the Auburn Bank phone line when we come back. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU. Welcome back to Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Daughtry. Again, Brooks will be departing from us in a little less than an hour. We will be sad, but we will carry on. You can hear him do the... Carry on my wayward son. You will be able to hear him, though. There'll be peace when you are done. uh, Through recordings on the podcast, but also... Lay your weary head to rest. You're too good. You sound just like him. We're going to get taken down. Don't you cry no more. Gonna get DMCA. Through FM Talk ninety three point nine when women's basketball takes on yeah. Texas A and M tonight, five o'clock four forty five airtime. It's fantastic radio, and yeah, we're doing different things at the moment, and that's okay, but it's really not. So we're gonna all do, <laughs> but we're all gonna do the same thing now. We're gonna go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, three three four eight eight seven three four zero one or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine. First up on the show today, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great, even better after hearing that uh, rendition. Uh, of the vocalization, is this a, uh, I guess, a, um, an audition for uh, Auburn's Got Talent uh, it, new show? It's. Uh, I'm actually uh, going to audition for the new the new season of The Masked Singer. <laughs> oh, The Masked Singer. Yeah. Okay, well, we know who you are, though, so now it's a giveaway. Yeah. No surprise there. 
All right, gentlemen, that's good to hear all your voices. So let's make it real quick here. Uh, about, uh, I've heard your comments about the uh, net rankings. Let me ask you first, please, uh, man, and uh, this is a genuine question, uh, and that is, who has more credibility and reliability in terms of projections throughout the seasons in basketball? Is it Joe Lenardi or is it Ken Palm? Well, if you're, if you're talking brackets, it's going to be Lenardi. Lenardi does not really uh, project uh, individual games. He just talks about their importance and what they what that would do to the bracket. So he's not really in the business of predicting games. He's just kind of telling you about what the outcomes would meet. Ken Palm, on the other hand, you know, he uses all those efficiency metrics and stuff to kind of project games and, and value teams in a, in a ranking, but not necessarily as bracket specific. So they kind of they, they operate in a little different space there. Okay. Uh, for, for the confusion, I look at Ken Palm's and he has as a, a radio. This comes from um, 247 today with Nathan King's uh, column. How the resumes look for Auburn uh, as of today, and he has a rating number 17, third in the SEC. Obviously, we're not even ranked in uh, the top 25. Uh, what's what's the distinction there? His rating versus the AP rankings of us. Yeah, th- that's pretty much just a, a bunch of efficiencies put together. He, Ken Palm's always been an advanced stat guy, or an advanced stat guy, and so he's had a, a kind of a formula for for grading offense and grading defense. And so he's really, it's really just about I, I think how his metrics spit out teams, and, and and some people value that a lot, some people don't. I know that that's part of the reason. I don't know if it was Ken Palm specifically, but there was that one voter last year, people will remember, uh, out of the state of Kansas that refused to rank Auburn number one when Auburn got to number one and kept rating them like number five or number seven or something like that. And he was using some sort of advanced metric there uh, of of why he was not rating Auburn number one. So some people do religiously follow those, but at the end of the day, those are just metrics and and they're not, uh, they're based off efficiencies usually. Okay, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the column uh, by Nathan King today, but I'll look just a real quick uh, summary of the uh, NET ratings right now, uh, as of today, uh, at 247 Sports says we're ranked uh, 26. Right. And fourth the SEC. Now, uh, what I'm looking at here are the quadrant uh, games that we've won so far. So we are undefeated in quad four wins, obviously 4 0. Quad three wins six and zero, oh, and quad two wins uh, six and two. So um, our only quad two losses were losses to Georgia, and obviously the other one uh, over Texas A&M. And then we're two and six in quad one losses. So my question, guys, is when the selection uh, committee looks at this, uh, obviously the games haven't ended yet, but season hasn't ended. Uh, what impact do they or do not have to the committee when they look at? Quad one wins, quad one losses. Uh, do they merely look at the losses, the wins, the type of losses in quad one region? Because what I'm going getting at here is that two and six record on the surface looks you know kind of abysmal, but then if you look deeper, those six losses that we had in quad one games were by a total of 36 points. Does that matter? Does that mean impact to the committee, or they they could care less that you just won or lost? Quad quad one wins are very important to the selection committee, and by extension, quad one losses as well. But they also look at margin of victory. That Bruce Pearl has talked about that a lot this year. 
Um, that's uh, in a lot of a lot of games that Auburn has won by blowouts. That's why you haven't seen the walk-ons come in with six or seven minutes left. That's why he waits until the final minute or two to bring in the the non-scholarship guys because margin of victory matters. Winning by thirty. Uh, matters more than winning by 20. That's why that game against Missouri is such a big deal. Auburn jumped eight spots in the net because they beat Missouri by 33 rather than beating them by 15. Um, that, that, so they do look at margin of victory. Uh, they do, And by extension, again, margin of losses also matter. So they do look at that Auburn only lost by a total of 36 points. Yes, but they also they also do look at that two and six. But it's more important that Auburn has a really good record against quads two through four. Okay, because I'm just wondering, hey, you know, if you lost uh, to quad one teams and most of them, I think, were on the road, uh, you know, that should count when no one has blown Auburn uh, out, out of the water in any of these losses, right? Right, not, the, uh, not off the top of my head. I, I, I think that um, – when you're looking at losses, I, I honestly think it would be more impactful to have any really truly bad losses, like a like a quad three or quad yeah. four loss. Well, I, I think a when really you're bad loss, yeah, I think Georgia. I think the the easiest way of looking at it is quad one wins are valued a lot, and then quad three or four losses. So you don't want to ha- you want to have really good wins, and you don't want to have any really bad losses. All right. So about last night's game, guys, and I did watch it. And I was I was thinking, okay, here we go. You know, what Auburn had happened to them, it looks like Tennessee's going to – because, you know, Alabama was trying to make threes at the very end if you watch the game. I said, uh-oh, Tennessee uh, is, is, may be in trouble here. But they, they hung out. So what I'm asking is this. Uh, how important was it or not to Auburn's, you know, um, seeding that even though we lost Tennessee uh, at their place by three, Tennessee ended up being the number one team as of now, uh, Alabama, and even though we lost Alabama, but it was a close game. Um, does that have any relevancy, or that, that means nothing? Uh, no, it doesn't really mean anything because Auburn plays both teams twice, so their their results against those teams will uh, will, will be the biggest indicator there. And, and obviously, you know, if both those teams are ranked very high, then those will be you know games that will matter to the committee of, of Auburn's result and that sort of thing and you know close losses certainly better than than blowout losses and and and, and all of that but uh, I I don't think Tennessee beating Alabama really has much sway there other than preventing Tennessee from starting to really go on a big drop in the rankings but that was always going to be a quad one game for Auburn both at Tennessee and in Auburn, and Alabama is going to stay in the top three or four in the country all season long. So, uh, I, I don't think that 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 matters too much. It's just what Auburn can do uh, in these next two games against them when they play them in March, and and uh, and how how those deficits are, and if Auburn's able to maybe beat Tennessee in in, in Auburn. Sure. Uh, what about uh, the impact and sway does Northwestern continue to win and beat ranked teams uh, have on our uh, seeding, our ranking? Yeah, I think on paper it's helping a lot. Uh, it, it makes it a quad one game, and, and Northwestern is going to be jumping up the seed line here, and any neutral site win against an NCAA tournament team is, is going to have value. I think eye test-wise, uh, you know that that's not going to change the narrative too much because it was a truly ugly game. I think everyone can agree to that. 
And, and so it, it's still, you know, it's early in the season, and, and there's some detracting factors there just because of how ugly it was. But, yeah, I mean, when you put it on paper, that win continues to look better and better and, and Northwestern success because that's the only time Auburn played Northwestern. They're not in the SEC. You know, that that is going to hold up pretty good. Okay. Um, Follow-up. Net rankings, do they have no uh, connection or or I guess relevancy to seeding because I'm looking at uh, same uh, Nathan King article and it has seeds via uh, bracket matrix. And what I'm looking at is Missouri is net ranking is 50, but their seeding according to bracket matrix seven seed. We have a net ranking of 26, yet we're seeded as number eight. And then I'm looking at uh, net ranking of A and M. Uh, there are 31, and their net ranking is 11 seed. Um, I'm confused here. How can that be? How the, can that number the, 50 ranking put someone in the seventh seat bracket? The net rankings are one of many tools that are used by by the NCAA tournament selection committee. It's it's something they look at, but it's not all they use. So uh, there's there's a lot that goes into it. Okay. All right. Good enough question. All right. So uh, the highest rankings I've seen so far for us is fifth and sixth uh, seedings. Guys, you think we'll be uh, seeded that high eventually, or probably much lower? Uh, I don't see them getting to five or sixty. They they would definitely have to win at Kentucky and beat Tennessee. They could afford a loss to Bama in that scenario if they were able to go four and one from here on out. Then I could see them getting to the five or six seed line. But but right now, I think they're more in that eight nine conversation. So they would have to rack up a couple quality wins to really start to, to change that and and you know to be honest with you like beating Ole Miss next week in Auburn that that, that that won't do a single thing for Auburn it would only hurt them if they if they played poorly and lost or something like that so that and the, the Vandy game is getting tougher by the eye test but again on paper that's not necessarily a game that's going to improve Auburn's resume either so it would really be up to Auburn to try and find two out of three between that Kentucky Alabama and Tennessee grouping. Yeah, right now the Vanderbilt um, game, which I thought at the beginning of the season was going to be a, um, an easy gimme, uh, is not looking like that anymore. But guys, how do you see that Vanderbilt game? How, how do we match up with them? And what's your confidence level that we uh, can, can uh, pull that game out for, as a win? Yeah, we haven't talked much about this game yet or, or about Vanderbilt. And, and as you pointed out, I mean, that was not a team on many people's radars of, of getting hot here. But nevertheless, here they are. They've won four straight, four in a row. Yeah, four straight games. Uh, and they've beaten a couple good teams, too, where they've really hurt Florida's uh, case for the NCAA tournament. They obviously beat Tennessee. And, you know, just kind of initially looking at them, uh, it's a team that, you know, not particularly great shooting team. I mean, they're, they're 32.5% or so, so, I mean, that's better than Auburn, but that still does not make it rank highly in the NCAA. Uh, free throws are at 71%. Field goal percentage of the team is at 42%, which is not very overly efficient. Uh, they do take care, better care of the basketball. 11 turnovers game is not bad at all. Uh, so I, I think the, the, the deal here is that place is one of the weirdest places. I want to say toughest, but one of the weirdest places to play in the entire sport. And some teams do not handle that well because the baselines are, or the, the, the benches are on the baselines and the, the shooter's eye is w- was way back there because of the way the seating works there. 
uh, the the the, the kind of elevated surface. It, it is a very unique place. Some people cannot stand it, and so I, I think venue could matter just as much as team in, in this instance. But certainly with Vandy winning four in a row, again, like I said, I think they are playing. They are clearly an improved team from what they were, were early in the year, and so their overall resume might not be the true indication of how good this team is playing right now. I'm just wondering, what is their motivation to continue playing this good since I don't think they're going to even be a bubble team, are they? Well, I mean, Steve, you always want to go out and win. I mean, Well, the, I know, but I mean, what I mean is they have nothing on the line. You're like, boy, if they win this game, then they definitely make it to the NCAA tournament or anything like that, right? Well, I mean, not this particular game, but if they keep doing this, I mean, if they if – they, they have some teams they can beat again. So if they are able to beat Auburn, they can go to LSU and beat a bad LSU team. They can host Florida, who they already beat on the road and won. That gets them to 17 and 12. Then they got Kentucky and Mississippi State to end it. I mean, it's not impossible for them to make some sort of run. And then also, of course, there's always going to be the incentive to play well in the SEC tournament because uh, that obviously would be an automatic bid if they could somehow find a way to win it, which, again, I'm not saying they'll do it all. But they're not – I mean, technically, they are not eliminated from trying to make the postseason. And even for a team like Vanderbilt, who came into this year not expecting to go to the postseason, even getting to the NIT would be something for them. So, no, they're still trying to play to to find their way into some sort of postseason season ball okay well thanks for uh educating me and not being dismissive of them and i don't want to be dismissive of it uh who is the player or players that auburn needs to focus on and be definitely you know uh, you know guarding so this is going to be uh if you read some quotes from dylan cardwell uh, earlier today uh, I think this is going to be very important to do a good job on Liam Robbins he is a seven foot senior for Vanderbilt and he is their leading scorer he averages about 15 points a game or excuse me uh, uh, yes 15 points a game seven rebounds uh, and, and shoots 51% from the floor. He does shoot the three from time to time. He's 34% from three. So he's kind of an all-around big despite being seven foot. Uh, and, and that's their best player, statistically speaking. So uh, they got a couple guards that average around nine, ten points a game. But Liam Robbins is going to be the guy. That Liam Robbins versus Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell matchup, that will be the key matchup for Auburn. So are we likely – Needing this to be a high-scoring game for us to win or a low-scoring game defensive? Vandy is not especially high-scoring at all. They only average 71.4 points per game. Um, so they they average one one and a half points less than Auburn. They give up seventy one point seven. So they're actually negative in the margin department. So uh, their their defense is not normally noteworthy here. Uh, and, and so again, efficiency wise, they're again a little less efficient than Auburn is from the floor uh, offensively, and that bears out with with averaging a few less points, obviously. So I I do not expect this to be an overly high-scoring game. Been wrong before, and I will be wrong again. Uh, But this does not feel like a a game that Auburn needs to score 80 to win. They they should be able to score low 70s uh, and have enough if Auburn's playing their their standard of defense. Okay. Uh, Thanks for educating me on that. And uh, finally, uh, the Thunder Chickens. Are you guys going to be playing again? Uh, we have every intention of doing that. I think signups are not for a couple more months for the summer season, but yeah, we're uh, JJ's all in, and uh, the we keep we know a bunch of people personally that keep getting injured, so that's kind of kind of spooking us a little bit. But yes, no, we have every intention of playing again. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, I know my time is almost 
uh, way overdue. So I uh, hope you guys have a relaxing, entertaining uh, rest of the weekend. Uh, I'll be watching uh, on ESPN Plus, I think, of the uh, uh, Auburn baseball games, right? Uh, yes, sir, and J.J. will be on the call of that. Yeah, I look forward to hearing his uh, uh, take and his calls on the game as well. All right, guys, it's time for me to say uh, goodbye and uh, have a safe afternoon again and a safe uh, evening, and we'll talk to you uh, come Monday, and hopefully uh, we uh, will stay on a winning record. Until next time, guys, War Eagle. War Eagle, appreciate that phone call. As always, that's retired War Dam Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. About four or five minutes left in this opening hour of the program. Steve started to hit on it there at the end, and, and everyone uh, everyone kind of still is a little bit murky on, and, and look, even the, the biggest analysts are too. Joe Lenardi, I've talked about it. We, I, I, I act like he's the only guy out there that does this or that he is for sure going to be the most accurate, but he's had plenty of years, and they tout that this is good, by the way, and I, I have my own stance on this, but there's plenty of years where Lenardi gets 64 or 65 of the 68 correct. Well, that's not 100%. And that means three or four teams did not get in when Joe Lenardi said they were. And by the way, I, 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 I'm I not trying to completely <laughs> completely uh, drub down everything we talk about when reference to Lenardi, but there's only seven or eight teams in, quest- in question to the NCAA tournament. Like, you, you have a very good idea. Obviously, you get all the automatic bids in. All the teams that are ranked in the top 25, top 30, and the net and the AP poll and all that, really, it only leaves eight to nine to ten teams that you actually have to really judge to get in the tournament. So you're really only batting like 500 on that uh, to, to get that fully correct. So, I, so we talk about it, and he certainly spends a large amount of time doing this and we respect him for that but he teaches a class on it he teaches a class on it but he is not the actual committee so if you talk to other people look these committees sometimes change and sometimes they'll value one element of the resume more than others in other years it's kind of a moving target in some form or fashion the net ranking replaced the rpi several years ago and that's why it's like the it's like the most digestible number that the committee uses it tries to incorporate a lot of different aspects of a resume but to steve's point it's still not going to actually line up seed wise just based off the net because there are other things the net is not perfect it's still a a big formula at the end of the day and we know how people in football did not like big formulas going into computers so that is not the only thing that, that makes an NCAA tournament resume, and that's why you've got to start to nitpick. Do they like a great win over a bad loss? Because some of these bubble teams will lose to South Carolina, wink, wink, but then they'll go and beat three other NCAA tournament teams. And so do you value the fact that they beat three NCAA tournament teams, or do you scoff at them for losing at home to South Carolina? And so that, that sort of thing is very much year by year on the committee and the good news is we have this very large tournament so that we do get a little bit uptight and i did last year when a&m didn't get in we get a little bit bothered when one or two teams that we felt should have been in did not get in but at the end of the day we're talking at seed 67 and 68 here talking about the last couple of teams to get into a field that is rather large there is some some empathy there or sympathy there but there is not 
like a an outcry of the tournament's going to be different now. No, it, the, the top 30 or 40 teams in America are all in there. It's going to be all right. So I don't know what you guys think or if I've kind of summed this all up here, but, but reality is we're all kind of educatedly guessing what the committee will actually do with all these numbers and which particular thing they will value the most in, in, in each year. Yeah, it's, you know, it, you, you're not you, – anybody that guesses – or you know puts together projections there they're all projections you're probably like you know like we've, we've talked about over the past week and you know a couple of weeks joe lenardi could probably get you know about 65 of the 68 correct because there's so many automatic bids and then you just look at the net rankings you're like yeah this this team's in this team's in this team's in it's those like you said eight nine ten teams that are sitting there that uh, spots that are open that you're just you know you're not 100 percent sure on it could be this team it could be this team and it just, it really depends you know there it seems like every single year that you you know you you get the selection Sunday you get the brackets revealed and then right after the brackets are revealed uh, CBS always does an interview with the president of the NCAA uh, selection committee and they're always like well this year you know we were looking at you know this you know that we had a lot of teams like that were there and it, it, a lot of times it's not so much that things are you know the the criteria change every year it's that we looked at this criteria last year well everybody was kind of even on this one this year so we got to look at this other one to kind of separate these teams out and so you know it really the the key is if you are not winning your conference tournament and you are not in the top 25 you've got to be winning games you got to be winning games convincingly and you you know you, you've got to put together a good resume in the non-conference and uh then win games inside conference play absolutely kind of forever moving target there uh but the bottom line is you win you're in a big conference you're in you're winning you in <laughs> so uh that's going to be the the story here for the next couple of weeks and again we'll preview the weekend in college basketball in particular in the sec coming up a little bit later in the program I'll tell you what's significant about the bubble picture and then more breakdown of auburn vandy got auburn baseball against indiana coming up uh this weekend a lot more in the sports world so stay tuned a lot more on this edition of sports call coming up after this timeout One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call begins right now. My name is Ryan LaVoy, and I've got Brent Daughtry and Brooks Childress with me here today. 
uh, Brooks just for another segment or so, and then uh, he will have to leave us for bigger and better things, uh, which in this case <laughs> means Auburn women's basketball over on FM Talk 93.9. Brit, so sad. Britt Bowen, Larry DeShera. No, you're, you're happy to leave. On the call of I'm that one. Hurtful. And that one will start at 4.45 airtime, 5 o'clock tip-off between Auburn and Texas A&M. And uh, so you can listen to that while we're still on the air even, uh, although we advise to continue to listen to our great program. But if you want to go listen to live Auburn women's basketball, you can check out what you miss on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. And join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. All right, Brooks, what do you want to talk about in your last segment on the show today and for the week? Um, food. What sports topic would you like <laughs> to talk about on the <laughs> last segment that you're on for the week? Um, I mean, I, you know, I... What are you excited about? I'm excited week? about Auburn baseball coming back. Uh, we got Auburn baseball. I, I think you know Butch Thompson met with the uh, media earlier today, and we've got our starters for the weekend. Got released a few little, just a couple couple minutes ago, about an hour ago. Uh, Friday night, you're gonna have Chase Alsup taking the mound for the Tigers. Uh, Joseph Gonzalez, who looks to be potentially the ace for the staff. Uh, is going to go Saturday, and then Drew Nelson, the freshman lefty, is going to go on Sunday. So two righties and a lefty are your your starting uh, rotation for the weekend, at least to start off the year. And obviously, things can change, but it's a, a sophomore, a junior, and a freshman for the Auburn uh, starting rotation against Indiana this weekend. Indiana's yet to name a, a Sunday starter. They've got their Friday and Saturday starters. Two lefties going for them on Friday and Saturday, and so the Tigers are uh, getting set for that this weekend. It, it's a it, it's a new team, but it's not a new team. You know, they're, they're, they lost quite a bit of talent on that roster, especially uh, when it comes to hitting last year. And you know, you lost a bit of talent out of the bullpen. But the there's a lot of new faces, and then there's also a lot of faces that you're you know you're going to trot out there tomorrow tomorrow afternoon about this time tomorrow afternoon, and you're going to recognize them in the batting order with the, with this Auburn team. So it's exciting that Auburn baseball is back. Um, Case and Howell, Nate Larue, uh, Bobby Pierce are two are three guys that had big finishes to last year uh, when Auburn made that run through the uh, the NCAA tournament to make it to co- the College World Series. They're back. They're they named team captains for the year for this Auburn team, and uh, yeah, it it should be a really really fun uh, fun start to the weekend. Yeah, I, I think it will be indeed. Uh, when you're looking at a new season here of Auburn baseball, Indiana, interesting team. We talked about this with Kevin Ives on Monday, playing some parking a lot. And the the Indiana Hoosiers, they come from a conference that is not really known for baseball. However, they are picked in the fourth to fifth area uh, of the Big Ten. And with stuff like this so early in the year, I mean, who really knows what Indiana is going to have? This could be uh, ended up being a series that Auburn takes two out of three of that they wish they would have swept. That might be a series that you just feel great about winning it in hindsight. You don't really know uh, what Indiana will be. Auburn's had some of these tournaments uh, in recent years out in Texas, it feels like, uh, when they've had some pretty interesting competition. But you always see the name Indiana, and it very much just differs from sport to sport. Auburn plays so many midweek games 
uh, and that sort of thing against lower competition and all these local teams, the Kennesaw States of the world, the Sanfords of the world, etc. But an opportunity against a Big Ten team here, and also we just know, Brant, how difficult the SEC is. So you kind of think, kind of no matter what Indiana actually is uh, in the Big Ten this year, Auburn would really like to get started with a series win at home. Uh, well, absolutely you would. And I feel like baseball might be just the hardest sport to predict because you see just wild predictions at the beginning of every year. Last year, I think Auburn was picked towards the bottom of the SEC and they end up making a College World Series appearance. One of the final, what, eight teams playing, I think. Something like that. One of yes. the, I, I think one of the final two or three teams playing in the SEC. But it just a... It, it, it's so hard to predict. And this year, Auburn is picked, I believe, at the bottom of the SEC West. Six out of seven. Six yeah. out of seven. So, again, like it's so hard to predict. And like you said, with Indiana, I feel like with pretty much any sport, they're very, I mean, up in the air. They, they could be good. They could be bad. They could be somewhere in between. Usually, that's where they end up falling. But, yeah, man, I, I don't know what to expect from Indiana baseball-wise. I know what I expect from Auburn, and that is... T- if not to get back to the College World Series and um, make a Super Regional again, host the Regional, that's kind of what all my expectations for Auburn baseball are. Um, it, I, I think Butch Thompson has got this thing rolling, and I'm really excited to see what they do this year, even though I have no idea what what, what to predict. Yeah, this league is going to be so good. Oh, and, yeah. And we have uh, mentioned it before, uh, just – as good as the SEC is in football, which we obviously talk a lot about, and it is in, in several of these other sports, uh, baseball is where it might really take the cake. Because, again, here's the top 25 uh, from Baseball America. And it, <laughs> now Auburn is ranked in this one, to be fair, by the way. And there, there's one or two that they're not ranked in. There's one or two that they are. But number one, LSU. Number two, Tennessee. Number three, Florida. All in the SEC there. Number four, Stanford. Number five, Louisville. All the way down to six before you get to the fourth SEC team, Vanderbilt. Texas A&M, seven. So that's five of the top seven. Miami, eight. Wake Forest, nine. Ole Miss, ten. Arkansas, 11. That is seven of the top 11 from the Southeastern Conference. Then UCLA, Virginia Tech, TCU, Oklahoma State, Maryland, North Carolina, Oregon State, who, of course, Auburn beat in the Supers last year at 18, Virginia 19, Oregon 20, Southern Miss 21, then Auburn comes in at 22, Texas Tech, East Carolina, NC State. And, of course, that's just one rendition of the poll um, because there's also the, the D1 baseball ranking, and they go with LSU, Tennessee, Stanford, then Ole Miss and A&M, so four of the top five there. They've got Florida down at seven, Arkansas at eight, Vandy at ten. So that instead of seven in the top 11, that's seven in the top ten. Uh, then they do not have Auburn ranked, but they have Alabama ranked 20th, and they have South Carolina ranked 23rd. That would be nine of the top 25. <laughs> it's excessive what, yeah. what's going on in the SEC in baseball. You, you know what's crazy about it, too? You didn't read a, you didn't read off either of these schools uh, in those rankings, but they're still pretty good baseball schools. Oklahoma and Texas are joining not this year but next year, and it's just going to make the SEC even deeper. You're absolutely right when you say that while the SEC has dominated football and they're starting to really get a foothold in basketball, they've been the best conference in baseball for some time, and that is not changing anytime soon. Brooks, you love to go out to Plainsman Park and take in love some it. Auburn baseball. You were at a lot of the NCAA tournament games in the regional. Um, 
let me just present the top 10 schools in the country okay. again. LSU, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Florida, Arkansas, and Vandy. Uh, I, I've, got, I've got to double check to see who all is on that schedule for Auburn. But, I mean, is there a team that you prefer to see out of the, out of the others there? Or is there one that maybe is not as preferable? I'm going through. Uh, okay, so they play Arkansas. Yeah, that's okay, a road that, series, though. That's a road series. Uh, Georgia's not one of those ranked teams. They're at Florida. Uh, they're hosting A&M, so that's one of those teams. Yeah, always a good series. At Alabama, who's uh, obviously road series. They host Mississippi State, which is not one of the ranked teams. They're picked seventh. They're at South Carolina. Then they host LSU May 5th through 7th. Then they go to Ole Miss the 11th through 13th. Then they host Missouri. They actually avoided a couple of those top 10 teams, actually, yeah. and, and only have one or uh, two of them coming to, the, to Plainsman Park. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I think the biggest one on that whole, and the, what I think a lot of people should be really excited about, is getting that LSU series at home this year. Uh, because LSU is, you know, such a such a good good team program this year. They're they're a team that I know a lot of people, especially D one baseball, has picked uh, picked uh, LSU as a favorite to win the national title this year. They're so deep this year. They did lose uh, one of their starting pitchers like last week or something. He, he got hurt and he's he's going to be out for the year. UCL, but, yeah. But still, it's they hey, if they're so deep and they 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 all they're always so deep and even in their down years, it feels like they're continue to host a regional and that that's how good they are. Is there's you know last year last year they did however go to um, Southern Miss. They were at the Southern Miss regional last year, but still a phenomenal baseball program. And I think the fact that you're this Auburn team that. You know, like I said, they're replacing a lot. I think I just read they have uh, their roster, 38 players, 18 returners on that list, 20 newcomers on that roster, and you get a team like LSU in your place and they've got to come up and play you, that's a big advantage for the Tigers to, to get them in. And LSU travels well. I think it was two years ago I went to that L- the LSU series that was uh, here at Plainsman Park, and there was a lot of purple in the stands, and they were they were pretty loud and vocal. But the fact that you get the team that's favored to win the national title in your building this year, one, should have the fans excited and uh, be able to get out there. And then two, it gives your team an advantage that you're saying, hey, we get a you know game that's you know probably going to have some a lot of national implications when it comes time uh, in our house and we get a chance to take care of business. I think that's probably the, 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 the series that most people should be really excited about this year. One note and one comment. So, again, if, if we went through that uh, entire top 25, if you noticed, only one Big Ten team, and that is Maryland 13th. And, again, trying to judge what Indiana is. Fourth in a conference, usually pretty good, but I don't know how many tournament teams exist out of the Big Ten this year. Again, just one top 25 team. Again, as if you're familiar with NCAA baseball, you know that the NCAA tournament uh, it allows the basically the same amount of teams in as, as basketball. Uh, I, I think it's 64 instead of 68, but but it, that's what it uh, what it used to be in, in college basketball, and so it, it is a very large tournament still. But same process is about automatic bids for conference champions in the tournament and, and that sort of thing. So that's one. The other point is, or the point I want to make is that Joseph Gonzalez is actually able to start yeah. on opening weekend because again, I, I mentioned this on Monday in the Kevin Ives interview. That I'm just a little nervous with recency memory here of knowing that Tanner Burns was so damn good uh, his first couple of years at Auburn, particularly his sophomore year, and then going into his final year at Auburn uh, was going to be the ace, was going to be just like Casey Mize and all that. 
and was injured from the word go and just never found it at all. I think he had a five-something ERA that year, if memory serves. He just never found it. And Joseph Gonzalez is somebody that his first year at Auburn, very high ERA, was not was not one of the main pitchers at all. Last year became absolutely a very important pitcher for Auburn. Cut that ERA in, in half into the low to mid threes. And if you figure you get any more improvement from him, he will be the ace that Auburn has had mm-hmm. in rotation for them for a lot of years now. But anytime you start talking arm, elbow, or shoulder at the start of year, you, you freak me out. And so yeah. it's very big that he is able to pitch opening weekend, and I'm probably going to stress over his innings early on more than anyone else's. Yeah, and you know, a couple weeks ago when Butch Thompson met with the media in his preseason meeting, he kind of said, you know, about the saying that they're not, he's not, he's going to be the starter, but he's not going to act like a starter. He's not going to go six innings. You're not going to see Joseph Gonzalez go six innings. They're, they're going to try to, you know, work him back in, you know, maybe a few, you know, three, four innings to start it out and then, you know, work him into that where he gets to six and seven innings before you get to that bullpen. And then speaking of the bullpen, one of the big things that the Stalburn Tigers team is replacing this year is the back end arm of Blake Burkhalter, who was a guy that you could bring in and just shut down an eighth, ninth inning. Um, uh, and he, he went to the draft. He's in the Atlanta Braves system now. So for Braves fans, thank goodness you get an arm like that in your system. But the fact that you're having to replace that big of an arm at the back end of your bullpen, that's going to be something also very interesting to watch on both ends of, and especially like a game on Saturday. If Auburn comes out and you win, you know, this weekend, Auburn comes out and wins that game on Friday, and you've got a chance to win the game on Saturday and go ahead and take the first, you know, the opening series. What that what that looks like when you going into with just Gonzalez starting the day and then who st- who finishes the day at the back end of that bullpen? One other question for you, Brooks, on baseball. Just having an extravaganza with you here before you uh, get off the air. And then I will I will end this segment. You will get to go over there after this. Uh, but how do you feel? We've talked about this in the past, and Burkhalter kind of fit this mold. Uh, s- certainly, Cody Greenhill did before it. And I think it's just something that Butch Thompson, that's his philosophy. But what do you feel about having a closer here in college baseball that you kind of bring in sometimes for multiple innings and might make them not usable for the rest of the weekend? But Butch Thompson in the past has put a closer out as early as the seventh inning many times for three full innings. Yeah. And then they won't really pitch him, definitely not on Saturday, but maybe not even on Sunday. Do you subscribe to that line of thinking and trying to make sure you get the first one and really valuing the first one a lot? Or would you try and go deeper into the bullpen to get you to the ninth so that whoever that closer is can work multiple games that weekend? I think it really depends on what other arms you have in the bullpen. Because if you've got guys that can you know get you to that ninth inning and you're really confident if you you know if you go back you know a few years back the Braves had it you know the three-headed monster in the bullpen it was uh, Eric O'Flaherty Johnny Venters and Craig Kimbrell and it was seventh eighth night you got to the seventh inning with the lead for the Braves you were done because you had those three guys come in seventh inning eighth inning ninth inning and they would shut you down if you've got a, a, a way that you've got like that you've got a couple guys that can get you to that ninth inning I I don't like bringing the closer in earlier but if you if, if you're not as confident in your bullpen and you're you know like Friday night you're saying hey you know we're up against the number whatever team in the country we could grab a win here but we need two solid innings and I'm not as confident in the rest of my bullpen I'm fine with throwing the the closer but overall 
I I like the I'd like to keep the closer in the closer role where you bring him in the ninth inning, shut down you know three three bat three batters four batters whatever it takes, get out of the inning, get out of the game, and don't waste him for the whole weekend because if you've got a chance you know say you you throw him Friday night and you've got a chance to win the series the next day but you just threw him for three innings two three innings the day before, well now you got to go to that bullpen that maybe you're not as uh, maybe you're not as you know solid with uh, on Saturday and. You you blow you know you, you blow the lead you you blow the win on Saturday and then you don't win the game on Sunday and it's like well if we hadn't thrown the guy it, it's it really depends on what else you have in the bullpen um, overall I I do like keeping the closer in the closer role where you don't pitch him more than one and maybe a one and a third inning maybe bring him in for like the last batter of an inning but I I'm I don't I it it has worked for Auburn. Uh, the past couple years with Burkhalter and Greenhill, but I'm more and Burkhalter kind of was more so bring him in the ninth inning. He he was able to work a couple more uh, a couple games a weekend. Cody Greenhill a couple years ago, he was you know they called him the bull. He was a guy they'd bring him in you know for the seventh inning on Friday. He wouldn't pitch the rest of the weekend, and so I'm not a big fan of that. I think you need to at least have him available for another game that weekend, and so that that I I I, I like having him available. There's a lot to figure out about this Auburn team, in particular the pitching staff. Uh, as you noted, Brooks, yes, losing Sonny DeShera and one or two others out of the lineup, and those were big names, but uh, in quantity, a lot of players returning to the lineup. Pitching staff-wise, losing a big quantity there, keeping a couple of quality, but losing a lot of quantity. And so a lot to figure out in that bullpen and in that rotation. Brooks, thank you for being on the show today. Yes, sir. Uh, go have fun with Auburn women's basketball. Say hello to Britt Bowen for me, and uh, we'll see you next week. War Eagle. Ryan Lavoy, Brant Daughtry here. We'll continue on the last hour and a half or so of the show. And again, no show on Friday. So uh, last hour and a half of Sports Call for the Week. When we come back, Auburn and Vanderbilt will start to break that one down from Nashville coming up right after this. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player, national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry here to take you the rest of the way for the day and for the week. Again, as a reminder, no show tomorrow. Auburn softball doubleheader right here on Tiger 95.9. All right, Brent, so let's uh, let's turn our attention towards Auburn and Vanderbilt, a very unique setting. We talk about it each and every year that the Tigers go to Vanderbilt and 
Uh, really a nothing quite like it. I can't remember. Someone really has disdain on this show for this, uh, Jim, but I, I do not know if it was you or Tom or who it was. What, how, how are, what are your feelings on Vandy's home setup? I don't – I'm not going to say, like, uh, I have disdain for it, but I certainly don't like it. It's, uh, it's weird. It's a little bit dangerous, to say the least, and it – it's distracting, you know. the The raised floor is just it's it's a factor that there's no reason for. It does not help, or it does not help either team. I don't think. I feel like it's just a disadvantage to to any player who tries to come to play there. And the the fact that the fans are below the players is just odd to me. It it is very it is very rare for just the flow of college basketball in the regular season. I, I can't – there might – there's look, there's 300-something arenas, so there's probably one or two others that that have that element to it, to the raised floor and all that. But I will say it is something that we see – you know, maybe Syracuse actually has it, the Carrier, Carrier Dome. I think that – actually, I can think I can envision that. But what why it's not completely abnormal is, if you think about it, we see that a lot in the Final Four. Because they go and play yeah. in non-basketball venues a lot of the time, and when that's the case, they sometimes elevate the floor, uh, and so that it does happen. It just does not happen much in the regular season. Not many teams do that. Also, the bench being on the baseline, it it's just different. I, I don't know if I yeah. like it or dislike it. It's just it just it's weird. It's just weird. What function functionally, it is not. Let's see. Let, let, let's. <laughs> I, I've got to break this down because okay, you see coaches all the time go out well past that little coach's box line. Okay, they they abuse yeah, that privilege. The coach the coach's box in basketball is imaginary, and once in a blue moon they'll get warned for it. But they 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 pass that line all the time. Buzz they Williams will court. actively play defense, <laughs> and yeah, several coaches, and so. When you think about having on the baseline, that means the coach's box does not come anywhere near uh, midcourt. I mean, it it is you're predominantly you can go a little bit on the sideline, but you're predominantly baseline. So I don't know. I I think safety wise, and I don't go safety angle that much. Uh, because I don't care about. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Safety doesn't matter if you if you want safety, don't play sports. Right, right. Just sit at home and watch some movies. Just do other things. Have a nine to five desk job. But I think that safety wise, it is a little worse to have them on the baseline because you could have players crashing into the bench area a little more easy because just more plays culminate down low yeah. below the basket i mean you're you're not typically running full speed toward the sideline right most uh, of the time when you're running full speed it is toward the basket on either end of the floor sure and and so that part of it is interesting i'm just trying to break it down and take a side basically just out <laughs> loud because it's not a thing i think about too often but it is unique and and some the, the pros to it is i appreciate something that seems so simple and so common that they try and do something a little differently there. Uh, and it certainly fix or not fixes, but, but changes the way some people operate because you are coming off the baseline instead of off the sideline. To me, it's, it's a little reminiscent and you'll be able to help me out with details here. What was the baseball field 
that used to have the the short hill in center field. That was the uh, Minute Maid Park, Houston, the Astros. The, yeah. It's called Towels Hill or something like that in center field. That yeah, was and it's, they've, they've since put a wall in front of that, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's took, now out it of down, play. Yeah, yeah. It, It's similar to that. It's just kind of like, well, it's different, and it's there. <laughs> I'm not sure why. <laughs> right, like what, what be different. What, yeah, it's different just to be different, and I feel like it's way too easy to fall off of that raised platform like you said it's way too easy to go crashing into the baseline and hence the bench um i don't know i'm, I'm just not a fan i'm not up in arms about it like some people get to be but it's it's just weird to me man it's it's different for the sake of being different and i it's you have a thing because you have to have a thing you know you can't you're vanderbilt you don't have a whole lot but you've got the raised floor in basketball so congratulations so when we look at this matchup and we look at this Vanderbilt team, again, we've noted that Auburn currently tied for fourth in the SEC with Kentucky. Kentucky has Tennessee this weekend. We'll get into that in a little bit. If Vanderbilt wins this game and Kentucky loses to Tennessee, Vanderbilt will be tied for fourth in the Southeastern Conference. They have obviously gone on a, a warm streak here. They have won four in a row. They are 14-12 overall. I'm not really seeing their name in any bracketology or, or anything like that, even though Florida, who has had a similar record, has been involved there. But I tell you what, they are getting hot at the right time. Again, coming from 10-12 and 12, now 14-12. and 12. Uh, What do you see in this team? What will be the, the pivotal matchups? I know we talked a little bit about Liam Holmes, but what, what will – what will ultimately decide this game? What does Auburn need to do well? well? I think it comes down to the big three of Wendell Green, Alan Flanagan, and Janai Broom. I think every time that Auburn has won, those three have played well collectively. Maybe not score 20 apiece, but get them into double figures. Let Wendell not turn the ball over and get a bunch of assists. Let Janai rebound well. And maybe Flan makes a couple of shots. He scores a little bit. He's he's a, a world-class defender when he's locked in. Uh, it just play good defense like you have done all year and let those three guys eat offensively and if you can do that then you'll win like you said the the matchup with Liam Robbins is the the biggest one by far and look Janai when he matches up against other bigs that are big time players if he has success Auburn wins I think back to the Florida game if he doesn't show up against those really good bigs then Auburn tends to lose I think of Alabama and uh, Tennessee I didn't think he played very well either if I remember correctly so it's going to come down to that matchup. I hate to make it so simplistic. At least I, I think that's what's going to happen. But, but yeah, I, I think this is more about Auburn. I think Auburn is the more talented team. But you are going to a team that is good, if not great. They are a competent basketball team. You're not playing South Carolina. You're not playing the rebuilding of LSU team. You're playing a team that has a good coach in Jerry Stackhouse. You're playing in a unfamiliar place that we have outlined all the reasons that that arena is super weird. Uh, so going on the road and getting this is not going to be easy, even though you should win the game. This Vanny team, as we talked about, uh, not someone that we had on our radar, uh, not a team that, as we opened SEC play, figured to be uh, in the conversation for a double buy, which is what the four seed in the tournament would do. You look at Stackhouse's time at Vanderbilt, started rough, as you can imagine, a lot of things difficult at Vanderbilt that are not baseball. 
11 and 21 in Stackhouse its first year, 3 and 15 in the SEC. 9 and 16 year 2, 3 and 13 in the SEC. Last year finally saw some improvement. 19 and 17, 7 and 11 in the conference, made the NIT quarterfinals. And now this year again, I don't know what it would take for them to really get on the bubble. They would certainly have to beat Auburn and keep going. But starting to feel like an NIT team again, which Look, again, for certain programs, that is not going to be something desirable. I can promise you if North Carolina or Kentucky end up in the NIT this year, they will not be very happy about it, and there will be no celebrations no matter what they do in the NIT. But for Vanderbilt, that just made an NIT in Stackhouse's third year last year, uh, it continues to show that there is a certain level that Stackhouse can attain at Vanderbilt. He obviously carries a big name from his time in the NBA and in college basketball. But I I think that for Vanderbilt, they've already gotten to their league win total from last year, and they are playing very well. And so we're spending more time on this than, again, I ever thought we would because they have improved. But this is is that five-foot putt, to use a golf analogy. Hmm. It is an 80 to 90% play. It is a play that you or a putt you should make, a game you should win. But there are tricky elements to it. Maybe you've had a bad round, or maybe you have missed one of these earlier, and it gets in your head a little bit. And so you play a road game, which road games are always going to be more difficult, especially in college basketball. If it is close late, Auburn knows they have not won many very close games in SEC play. Uh, their wins have been thumping. So, I mean, they've won several games now where they played very well. You think about the Missouri game for sure This earlier this week. You thought, think about the midweek. Uh, I believe it was the week before when they squashed Georgia and avenged that loss. They beat LSU decisively in Baton Rouge. They only allowed 49 points in that game. Uh, didn't have too many problems with Ole Miss. I know it was a nine-point game, but Auburn led by double digits most of the way. Uh, really the only closer game here that I'm thinking about that they won, they even beat Arkansas by double digits. Uh, Mississippi State in mid-January was a, was a pretty close game throughout. But for the most part, there's not been a lot of close games. So you go on the road uh, to Vanderbilt, and if it's close late and it's a game that you know that you're sh- you're the favorite, you should win, you are a good bit better, or at least a little bit better, that five-foot putt, though, it is missable. And Vandy has been making people miss it recently. Let me let me uh, put you in a scenario here. If you're Auburn, well, I'm not going to say that. But do do you, as a fan, feel like it might be better if they is this game is close and Auburn wins just to prove to itself that it can, you know? Because like you said, you haven't won many close games, especially in conference play. Uh, you've in crunch time, you've performed very poorly offensively. If you can. Go in there, and in the last minute, when it's a five-point game, can you keep up the offense to either cover that five points or keep the lead where it needs to be? Get the stops at the very end, just to prove to yourself that you can do it. Yeah, if you, I, I think absolutely, if you have your pick of the litter on how to win this basketball game, you don't want a buzzer beater because you want everyone's hearts to be intact after the game. <laughs> but you don't want to win by 15 to 20-plus points. You, you don't want to have that fully in control at the under-four-minute media timeout. You want to win a game exactly how you say it. If, if I have a preference on how Auburn 
able to win this game. And look, <laughs> not many teams get their preference. It's not how it works, unfortunately. But if you get your preference, then yes, I, I want Auburn to be up five or six points with three minutes left. And I want them to hold serve or then pull away in the final three minutes. Because if they're going to make any sort of run in the NCAA tournament, and I know that seems unlikely for most people. You talk about a team that for half the year has just been trying to avoid falling into the bubble. I get that. But we also know it's March. We know it's madness. And we know that the best, most successful Auburn team in the regular season in Auburn's history did not make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yet, an Auburn team that had expectations that did not win a regular season title, but then rocketed to an SEC tournament title and then to the first Final Four in the state of Alabama's college basketball program's history, that that team was the team to do that, not a team with Jabari Smith, not with Walker Kessler. You have got to figure out at the end of a season what is working for you and how to win those close games. And so if that is true and you can you can beat expectations, defy expectations, then March Madness is all about that. And there are teams all the time. Maybe they don't win the title. Maybe it is the one seed that the vast majority of the time wins the title. I feel like we've been on a very good run recently of the best team in college basketball either winning or at least being in the national championship game. Even if that is true – that has not disqualified plenty of great runs in the last five or six years of teams that had a double-digit seed by their name or were a seven or eight seed. Uh, look at the team that lost last year. North Carolina, big program, eight seed. You might expect Carolina to be in a Final Four National Championship game, not when an eight's beside their name. You look at a magical run, and Auburn's above this level, but you look at a magical Loyola Chicago run from a few years ago, double-digit by their name, certainly not a huge basketball history, into the Final Four. And so... I mean, uh, what was it? St. Peter's last year was... Uh, won multiple games yeah. in the tournament. Beat Big Bad Kentucky. Uh, made John Calipari and company lose more hair out of an already <laughs> thinning head the last few years. And, and so, they're very upset with him, and that was kind of the beginning of their woes this year absolutely and so i i don't try to sound you know this brant and i think everyone that's listened to me for a while knows this i'm not trying to play a biased card here but the reality is you make the ncaa tournament absolutely everything is possible so to go mm -hmm. all the way back to the question you asked me five minutes ago yes i want to see auburn win a close game that is the preference in nashville and it doesn't matter that vandy is ultimately not an ncaa tournament team if Auburn wants to go on a run and not only just get through the first game, but find a way to get through a first weekend, one of those games is going to have to be close at some point. At some point, if Auburn wants to keep playing basketball well into March, they'll have to win a close game. And I understand they did that some of the non-conference. That is a very long time ago. Northwestern was close because both teams were putrid. Okay, <laughs> That is not exactly – it's kind of like Tennessee beating Auburn. And this is why – look, I was wrong about this. I thought Tennessee would lose to Alabama. And one of the reasons I did is I thought Tennessee was having problems in close game because even in the Tennessee and Auburn game, Tennessee did a lot of things wrong in the last three minutes of that game to allow Auburn the opportunity to look great for Auburn for fighting. But they did a lot of things wrong there for Auburn to still have a chance to try and tie that game at the end. They had a couple turnovers. They missed free throws. They didn't. They only had one field goal in the last three or four minutes. And, and so that sort of thing, when you get in March and you get amongst the mayhem, 
who can produce the mayhem and who is the victim of the mayhem. And if you are not a good finishing team, you will probably be the victim of a last second shot or, or last minute blunder. And so uh, I absolutely uh, want Auburn in a perfect world to go and win a five to eight point game. Now, I'll say this, to just to play devil's advocate, if Auburn goes into Nashville and wins by 30, I'm not going to be upset. <laughs> well, sure, absolutely not. <laughs> Never upset about a win. No, no. And, you know, it, I, I to to equate it to my own days of being an athlete, uh, the close games are the ones you remember, but the easy games are the ones you enjoy the most. You know, and as, as a player, I think you want to go in there and you want to win every game by 50. But it, again, like you said, that's just not realistic. It's not going to happen for you. Um, it's never happened for any team. Uh, the best team in the history of college basketball had to win close games. It, it's just how the sport works. But I think, I think yeah, go, going forward, I, I don't care if it happens against Vandy. I don't care if it happens against Kentucky or Tennessee. I feel like it's a lot more likely to happen against Kentucky or Tennessee. But at some point, you've got to have a close game. You've got to be within five points in the last two minutes or so, and you've got to come out on top of that one. Four or five minutes left here before we end hour number two. Again, the show will not have a Friday show tomorrow uh, as Auburn softball will be on our airwaves. So a few more minutes left in hour number two, and then we'll come back for the final hour of the program for the week, talking Auburn and Vanderbilt here. Uh, and Auburn's remaining schedule, again, we've been over it many times. This is the stretch where you can get up to those 20 wins without, in theory, as much stress and as much uh, as many problems. Uh, Auburn at 18-8 and eight right now. They got 14-12 and 12 Vanderbilt this weekend. Then the Ole Miss game next Wednesday, which for all the world, that's a game that that you asked me, do, do I want Auburn to win close games? That would not make me feel better if Auburn yeah. wins a close Ole Miss game. They need to win that game by 15 to 25 points. But then that's at Kentucky, at Alabama, and host Tennessee to close. And we know the connotation, obviously, of the Alabama game. That will be one of the highest-ranked teams in the country. The return trip for a, a blood and guts game in Neville Arena last weekend. Uh, a return trip for Tennessee coming to Neville Arena at the very end of the year for a blood and guts game in Thompson Bowling. But – uh, that Kentucky game is going to be a very fascinating one because it's a team that Auburn has not played. We spent a lot of time talking about bubble teams on this show, and Kentucky just so happens to be one of them this year. And so that will be another important game for the bubble, for the resume, probably more so for Kentucky because I'm thinking Auburn, if they get the Vandy and Ole Miss games, I think they're going to be safe. Yeah. But really the schedule, fortunately Auburn has done – just enough i mean they've kind of done the minimum what we said they had to do they've not been able to break through and win one of these big games against alabama against tennessee or, or on the road at a&m but they've not lost any of the games any of those five foot punts have not lost any of those so far and vandy unfortunately though like they're playing much better but that still qualifies and they can't really afford to lose it because then that's that's not a part of the plan then you do have to win one of those Kentucky or Tennessee games. I don't don't love the chances in Tuscaloosa. Period. But they got to find one if they lose one. So so this Vandy game is that that last test to me that either signifies they will be on the bubble to the very end if they lose, or if they win, they should be off the bubble even despite what might happen the last week of the season. With those three games at the end of the season, Tennessee, Tennessee here at Kentucky at Alabama. I think you and I are both in agreement that at Alabama is a very tough ask. Yep. Uh, it's It seems unlikely at this point. Obviously, hoping for a win. But just speaking somewhat realistically, it doesn't look very likely. 
between visiting Kentucky and hosting Tennessee, which one of those do you think is more winnable? Because I've been going over it in my head. I can't pick one. Oh, no, normally, you'd say, normally you'd say the home game, but I feel like Tennessee is just such a better team than Kentucky. But Kentucky has the revenge angle on what happened last year, and it seems like Kentucky is starting to not like Auburn that much, and playing anywhere that's that's hard is... Play, playing anywhere away from home is difficult, and then you've got the fact that Kentucky's just always going to be super talented, one of the one of the most recognized coaches ever. There's a lot that goes into Kentucky, for sure. So if Tennessee had not beaten Alabama last night, I would have gone the route of Tennessee because it's a home game. Auburn has done some pretty tremendous things to Tennessee at Neville Arena over the last five or six years since Bruce Pearl has been in charge and since he's really gotten the thing going Auburn. Auburn has had a, a fair amount of success compared to how good Tennessee has been. But again, I think the doubts that I had about them were answered. I was starting to doubt their validity as a top ten or fifteen team. I thought they were more of a back end top of the twenty top twenty five team the way they had been playing. And they proved me wrong in that game last night. There's not often that one out of thirty it makes a, a huge bit of difference, but that one does when it's against Alabama and it's without a couple of your your primary players. And, and so I start to lean back towards Kentucky, even though I still think Auburn has will have every opportunity to, to win the Tennessee game, but I can't get over the fact that Kentucky lost to South Carolina at home, and I know I should. Again, it's one game, it's one mishap, but if you're any road team that plays in Rupp Arena, that game for like three years should give you all the reason to not be scared of them. You know, I mean, I mean, I guess the teams will change over the next couple of years. I shouldn't go that dramatic, but at least for this year, you shouldn't be intimidated by that environment. And because Thompson Bowling has already happened, and because that is a very similar in size and atmosphere to to Rupp. And Auburn handled themselves fine. They obviously didn't make anything, but they played great defense and they were in it till the end. That tells me that that Rupp Arena environment should not matter to Auburn. And I'm not trying to belittle that environment, but this year it has not mattered for Kentucky. Point blank. I would not That's say true. that over the history of time, but it has not mattered this year. And so with, the, with that evidence, I lean Kentucky. I think Auburn's got a better chance against Kentucky. I think they can win either one, but I'd go Kentucky there. Fair enough. Fair enough. real quickly? No, I, I think I agree with you. I think it, I think they're both tough, but you're right. Uh, you look at the way this year has gone. Home field, home court advantage has not been as ad- advantageous for Kentucky. So I think that's a good point, and I think you've swayed me. <laughs> there you go. Out of time for hour number two and hour number three. More of your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line again. The numbers there to join us today: three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine. Hour number three. Coming up in just a minute, we'll talk the rest of college basketball as well. Start to give you a preview of the various sporting events coming this weekend, including the Daytona 500, including Tiger Woods back in action at the Genesis Invitational. A lot going on in the sports world just because we've said goodbye for the uh, to football for the year, except for the fact the XFL also starting this weekend. So a lot to talk about in hour number three. Stay tuned. Two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. 
To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call today, coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Ryan Lavoie, Brant Daughtry with you here for the final hour of the show for the day and for the week. Again, reminder, Auburn softball doubleheader coming up from Jane B. Moore Field tomorrow. And so we will not have a Friday show. And again, that will happen again for the next couple of Fridays. So we will have a what to watch for over the weekend in just a few minutes. So far on the program today, we have talked a lot of different things. And to tell you about, here's the Daily Show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? All right, Brant, uh, what all have we talked about today? We have talked a lot about Auburn's win over Missouri and about Tennessee's win over Alabama and how that shook up the SEC. Uh, we've talked about bracketology and where Auburn may end up in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we've talked... A little bit about Vanderbilt and uh, the game that Auburn will be playing on Saturday. Uh, tomorrow I'm actually going to do an opponent preview on Vanderbilt, so I'll, I'll, you can check that out on our website, thetiger.fm. I'll also post it on our socials, or uh, on our Twitter at least, so you can go there and read that. It'll be a little more of an in-depth dive than what we do here. You get to read it instead of listen to it, but uh, hopefully uh, people check that out because I do work hard on those. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, we're uh, we're we're talking about talking about basketball. Been a lot of basketball today, and a little bit of baseball as well. Yep, a little bit of Auburn baseball as uh, they get set for their first series of the year against Indiana coming up Plainsman Park tomorrow. Again, reminder they moved up that first pitch time for the season. It was at six o'clock. Now it's at four o'clock due to the fact that it's going to get cold tomorrow night as this cold front blows in. It's going to be lows around thirty or thirty-one tomorrow night so move that first pitch up a couple of hours also want to talk about another form of baseball news today this happened early this morning the new tv voice of the atlanta braves was Mm. named today and that will be brandon godden and if you do not know that name you have probably heard him before you just have not known it Uh, particularly a lot of baseball kind of as like the number two, number three person, kind of a regional guy. You know, they have Joe Davis do kind of the game of the week for Fox and and the World Series now that Joe Buck has moved on. But one of the regional guys has been Brandon Godden here for a few years. Uh, He's also done a little NFL. And for the younger people, maybe, or if you're listening and have kids that played Madden, he's been the voice of Madden video games for several years. Um, Mm -hmm. So he has been around, I think he's late 30s, early 40s, or excuse me, yeah, late 30s, early 40s. And uh, if you read his thread today, grew up a Braves fan, kind of wanted to get into broadcasting because of Skip Carey, and so checks a, uh, a lot of boxes actually. Uh, for the Braves, but not a guy that we had on our radar, but uh, Brandon Godden named the new TV voice of the Braves. Yeah, and I think it's a good pickup. I like Brandon Godden a lot. Like you said, uh, <laughs> I think his most famous call is um, 
when Georgia Tech blocked a field goal and then returned it to win on the last play of game against Florida State in 2014. I think that was Brandon Gauden, the what a time to be alive. No, that's Mark was, uh, Mark Jones. Was yeah. it? Okay, never yeah. mind. Ignore everything I just said. But Brandon Gauden, is a, he's a good play-by-play guy and uh, a lot of football. Like you said, if you've ever played Madden, I think since 2016, I think he's been the Madden voice. So... Uh, he, he does he does a really good job. I think this is a pretty good pickup for the Braves. I say that like he's a player. He's not. I think <laughs> I think it's a good addition to the booth, um, and I definitely think it's better than having uh, uh, Jeff Francoeur and oh, the, the, yeah, the, all, the, all the color yeah all the color person. guys just in there all trying to argue about pitcher versus hitter the entire time. So I, I think Brandon Gordon's going to do a really good job. Really, and like you said, his thread that he put together on Twitter uh, was really really cool. And it, it 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 was really fun to read how he's been a you know he's been a Braves fan since he was a kid and he still has his old Braves jersey and it still kind of fits him even though he's like you said in his uh, mid to late thirties now I think so yeah I, I think I think he's a good voice I think he's a good play by play guy I think this is a really good really good choice by the the Bali Sports Crew yeah Gordon is solid I, I still would have loved Tom Hart I kind of got married to that idea a little bit uh, just thinking about what that could be like and kind of the, the positive turn he has on games. But uh, Godin is certainly a, a good professional and just going to be different because, I mean, for all those that have loved the Braves for a long time, I mean, a, a carry has been involved for mm-hmm. 30 or 40 years between Skip and Chip and uh, Chip obviously leaving to go home to St. Louis and another proud franchise there. But uh, bringing in this new new air we'll see how long brandon Godden ends up doing it i mean that's just something that i start to think about is will Godden be around for a few years and pivot to something else or will he go 20 or 30 years and, and end up being one of the the classic voices we will see and uh again he noted that that on on social media those, those were big shoes to feel fill and uh, seems very excited about it and and so we will we will see uh, that, but that is something we talked about a couple of times on the show, trying to speculate who it might be, and some people wanting Ben Ingram to come from the radio booth. Of course, the Tom Hart narrative, also Rich Walls, the former Marlins guy, had been mentioned for a little while too. Uh, but ultimately, Bally Sports going with Brandon Godden to be uh, the new voice of the Atlanta Braves on TV, and I think their first spring training broadcast is like March 10th or something like that. So. Obviously, spring training for everyone starts playing games here in a week or two, but uh, I think their first television broadcast coming up in three or four weeks, so we will get to hear him then. It's going to be very exciting to get back in the baseball season, and that that time of year is here when you love sports the way we do. There's really never a big off season. Certain things go on break, sure, and, and maybe for a lot around here, uh, very involved around Auburn stuff in particular and Auburn football and basketball and that sort of thing. But as we pivot to the spring here, there continues to be uh, a, a lot of things to look forward to. You just heard in the sports report uh, about uh, the Daytona 500 stuff that, that Brant was reading through as the uh, dual races are tonight, excited for another season of NASCAR, uh, and just a lot going on still with, with Auburn stuff. We've got highly ranked golf teams, uh, on campus right now, uh, softball in the top 25. And, of course, they've got five games this weekend at Jane B. Moore Field. You can hear them all on either Tiger 95.9 or on uh, WQNR 99.9. So a lot to uh, to go through there. And then also 
Uh, you, you've got uh, Auburn baseball and their season. We've talked a little bit about that. Just the grind that the SEC is in. And two more years for these spring sports between before Oklahoma and Texas take over. Uh, but one more year for football and for that. And, Brent, I can't remember what days have been which uh, on the show this week. Have we talked with you and I a little bit about the the nine-game versus the eight-game scheduling model for the SEC? I think we've talked about it a little bit. We have not gone depth into it, I don't think, this week. So let's, let's touch on that. So reading today that Greg Sankey believes they will have a solution to this prior to the SEC spring meetings, which I believe first, second week of May. I think they usually take place in either Destin or Orange Beach or somewhere I'd like to be in May. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, they they think that they will uh, have... Two, a two-hour meeting and then a small vacation. Right, exactly. And so they're going to have this ironed out pretty soon. We've gotten a question or two prior uh, or earlier this week about what we want to see Auburn ultimately have. If you had your pick, and let's ignore that other schools also get a say <laughs> and they also have to have rivalries. What three teams would you want? You can do it based off the balance or rivalries, however you want to do it, but what three teams would you want Auburn to have the, the constant opponents, assuming we have the three constants, six rotating, nine-game model? Right, and I think that is where Auburn is, or where the SEC is going to end up. I think with Auburn... Your two of the three permanents are going to be Alabama and Georgia. There's no getting away from that, and I don't think any. I, don't, I think 95 percent of the Auburn fan base doesn't want to get away from that. I certainly don't. Um, so you're really just left with that third opponent, and there's a lot of different ways you can go. You've you've started something with LSU. That's been kind of a rivalry lately. The Mississippi schools. You've played them more than you've played anybody else. That's not Georgia or Alabama. So you've got history with them. Proximity. You can go with proximity and take Vanderbilt as that third opponent. And man, would that make things a little bit easier? But also, you have to worry about man, are we better than Vanderbilt this year? You know, that's in your bad years, that becomes something that you have to worry about. Of those three, I feel like either Ole Miss or Mississippi State is most likely uh, to be that third opponent. Or you can go back to the old days of Amen Corner and have Florida every year as well. I think that is by far the most difficult schedule you could put together. But I think it's going to end up being either Florida, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, or Vandy. Look, I, I love this conversation. We'll ultimately have it multiple times throughout oh, yeah. the spring leading up to when they actually decide it. And then we're going to break it down at nauseum too. But... We'll, we'll do a full show at some point on breaking down every single team, what they, what they should want to have, what they will ultimately have. If you're asking me the three that I want, because I've, I've, I've basically just kind of been saying what I think is going to happen a lot or, or, or the scenarios in play. But I've thought about this, and maybe people can call me not a competitor here. Fine, whatever. <laughs> But I do want Auburn to end up with the that third team being a weaker opponent. I'm, it does not necessarily have to be Vanderbilt. Um, I know South Carolina has been bounced around. Auburn, that's been a little house of horrors for Auburn the last couple of years. Uh, it really will depend on, again, I, I, I don't want to interject into my own what my preference. And I said, don't <laughs> leave everything else. But it is relevant that it will ultimately just depend on what everyone else has going on. But I, I would like someone 
that is in the lower half of the SEC, to be to be completely honest. And someone like Ole Miss or Mississippi State for me is the is the most commonsensical because that's still a team that Auburn has played every year here for what 20 or 30 years Mm -hmm. and it is at least it may not be a quote-unquote rivalry but is not something that is irrational to think it could not be boiled up a little bit more obviously there's some inner workings of that with the auburn Ole miss dynamic right now because of the lane kiffin and hugh freeze dynamic but i i you you can't be too short-sighted here because one would say I'm not scared of Florida. They keep changing coaches every three years. They've not been particularly good. I'm terrified of Florida. But if you got to play them every year, right? But that is a program that at some point will figure it out. Like there's a certain level that some of these teams in this league will just very likely never obtain. Like Mississippi State's just not ever going to be consistently ten and eleven wins. And I'm like, I'm not trying to bury them and say they'll never have a great team. The Dak Prescott team was a lot of fun. They got to number one in the in the rankings for a week or two, and that was great for state. But some of these schools, even though the SEC is huge, the SEC still has schools in it that are still kind of stepping stones for other schools. And if you're great at Mississippi State, guess what that meant. That meant Dan Mullen left for another SEC job. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so that kind of thing still exists for four to five to six schools. I'll tell you another one. I know that everyone in Columbia, South Carolina, adores Shane Beamer. And they should because he brings a lot of charisma to the table at South Carolina. He brings something to South Carolina they have not had in a long time, and that is excitement. Right. I mean, they, they obviously they, they were good with Spurrier, but again, the charisma the charisma aspect to it, if he gets really good, he's gonna leave at some point. Yeah, it, 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 because South Carolina will get can get to a point. Mike Spurrier got them to. They can get to nine or ten wins a year and go to a championship game or two if Kirby Smart doesn't. if he doesn't win every single title in the SEC East. Although we're gonna now have different ways of doing the SEC. Mm-hmm. So again, the way we think about everything will change, but. They can have nine or ten win seasons. Steve Spurrier proved it. But that's still not going to be enough if a big school, you can call in the SEC, if Florida called or if Texas or Oklahoma call or a lot of different places I could go through would attract someone like Beamer over South Carolina. And so there are programs that will just not obtain the level that half this league can obtain. Even if in cycles, like Ole Miss is having a fun cycle right now. They're, they're pretty good two years in a row. I know they fell off the last three games, but they're pretty good right now compared to what history says about them. And Mississippi State with Dan Mullen was pretty good for seven or eight years compared to what history said about them. But there still has to be a top and the bottom to this conference. And so I want Auburn to have Alabama and Georgia. That is, Those are not only huge rivalries to those schools, including Auburn, those are huge rivalries to the conference and to the sport. Those yeah. rivalries have to exist. And history shows Auburn's going to be relevant in college football, period. They're always going to be relevant. But you know what? Georgia's always going to be relevant. They're always going to be a quality program. They're obviously an elite program the way Smart's been running it the last five or six years. And then Alabama, it sucks for Auburn people to hear this, but Alabama is always going to be one of the great programs in the history of college football. And they've had multiple Hall of Fame coaches now. It's not just a Nick Saban or a Bear Bryant program. 
Those are two tr- tough programs to always play with. The balance says if you've got two top half programs, give me a bottom half program to to counteract that. And so that's a lot there, but that's why I want to go with one of the Mississippis because, again, there is some sort of regionality there. And, look, you mentioned, Vandy, there would be regionality there. But it, with Ole Miss, Mississippi State, that is the least, prog- least programs that Auburn has been familiar with over the last 20 years and will be, again, not punching backs for Auburn because there's definitely times where Ole Miss and Mississippi State have their day. But just overall, if you go 20, 30 years at a time, those should be teams that Auburn do favor very strongly against. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, there are programs where you can go in and win eight or nine games every year. You can make a bowl game nine years out of ten. You win a, you win ten games once or twice over your 15-year stretch as a head coach, and they'll build you a statue. Uh, there are other places like Auburn that will fire you for doing that uh, because Auburn has higher expectations. Alabama, Georgia, LSU have higher expectations than that, and the Mississippi schools are those programs, uh, to your point. And with the way that uh, the schedule shakes out, because you're going to have Alabama and Georgia, two of the top programs in the history of college football, much less the SEC, much less right now. Uh, if anybody tries to say that wanting an easier third opponent makes you less competitive, they're gluttons for punishment. Because having Alabama and Georgia on your schedule is going to be brutal regardless. So I don't, I don't want Florida, even though I understand it is such a massive rivalry. It's, it's kind of funny. I said before, my uncle played football here at Auburn. My mom's brother uh, was a linebacker back in the 80s. And I talked to my grandfather. His least favorite fan base in the conference that he ever went to was Florida fans. He hates Florida fans to this day. Uh, hates the University of Florida because of you know the rivalry that Auburn and Florida had and his experience when, when his son was playing linebacker at Auburn. And... Uh, so I understand why people would want to renew that rivalry rather than just play them once every seven years or so. But like you said, Florida is a top-tier program. They are going to figure this sucker out. The same way Auburn is going to figure this thing out eventually, even though they're a little bit down right now. Uh, to to suggest that Auburn needs a third, give us the toughest schedule every single year. That that's 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 a glut, that's being a glutton for punishment. You need an easier opponent. Even if it's not Vanderbilt, it needs to be one of the Mississippi schools. Yeah, even playing Alabama and Georgia right there, no matter who you put as the third name, you immediately put yourself. You immediately put yourself in the top twenty toughest schedules in the country because you have Georgia and Alabama and whatever other SEC opponents. Because you're not going to skip all the hard ones. Absolutely, and again, it's not an all or nothing thing because again, reminder the way the why the reason we're doing this, the reason we're talking about a new scheduling model is because we're not going to go six or seven years between playing teams yep. anymore. You're going to play Florida every other year. Every group of college students that goes to a campus will see every school in the league at least once, both home and away. And so you don't have to feel like it's an all-or-nothing exercise. Well, I really, really care about that Florida or LSU rivalry. Well, that's great. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I do, too. Those are rivals, period. Even though the Florida thing has not happened much the last 15 years, that's still a rival. It's just a little bit less heated at the moment because they're not playing. But that will start to happen every other year, and that will become a little bit more ratcheted up if you're playing teams every other year. You're going to play everyone every other year uh, at bare minimum. And so 
again, it's, it might anger some people because you do want the three biggest rivals, but it's not like you're waiting six years in between anymore to see these teams. We need to take our first time out of hour number three. When we come back, we'll start to preview the weekend in the sports world. A lot to going on. What a lot going on? Excuse me. What to watch for over the weekend? Coming up right after this. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call here on this Thursday evening. Ryan LaVoy and Brant Daughtry with you here. Last 15, 20 minutes of the show for the day and for the week. Again, no show on Friday as Auburn softball doubleheader inside of Jane B. Moore Field. Looking forward to Auburn's home openers. They play them very quickly in softball. They'll play five or six in a weekend, uh, and that's a, a lot of softball. Auburn went 4-1 and one in softball down in Clearwater this past weekend maintaining a top 25 record all right so as we start to conclude the show for this week even though it is a thursday it's time to play what or time to do what to watch for over the weekend sports calls what to watch for over the weekend all right there is a lot to watch for over the weekend of varying degrees of interest to everybody uh let's start off if you are football obsessed still the xfl starts this weekend i think i posed the question yesterday i'll pose it to you too brant of the three leagues that kind of have some sort of relevance here beyond the NFL, that would be the CFL, the XFL, and the USFL. Which league intrigues you the most? Which is most watchable to you? Oh, man, uh, Canadian football is just weird. I can never watch Canadian football because the rules are so different, and it's, I don't know, it's just a little bit odd. I think the highlights of it are cool, but I don't think I can sit down and watch a full game. The XFL is the one that has partnered with the NFL, right? They are going to be kind of testing out rules in, in a minor league system of sorts. Or is that the USFL? I think that's the USFL. Is it the US? Okay, so the the USFL in that case is the one I'm going to be watching more of. Um, the XFL, I know, was owned by the WWE. I think the uh, I think uh, Dwayne Johnson just bought it from um, yes. the guy who was Vince running. Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, thank you. Uh, Dwayne Johnson just bought it from Vince McMahon. Uh, so maybe they'll market that a little bit better, get some better players. It's all about which one of them has the better players, obviously. And uh, As of right now, I think the USFL is off to a better start. I think partnering with the NFL is a fantastic idea uh, to be kind of that minor league system and to test out rules that, they want, that the NFL wants to see if they work, wants to see if people uh, actually respond well to whatever changes they want to make so i'm going to go with the usfl of those three for for right now but uh, we'll see how it goes uh, as we get deeper into the season i i'll be honest i can't remember if there's 
uh, any teams near this area uh, anyway. So I, I know that there were, um, what was it, the Birmingham Stallions. Stallions. The Birmingham Stallions are the USFL team, right? Yes. So, and that's that's right, because all the games were played in Birmingham, even though there were several different uh, several different city-named teams. All of them were based in Birmingham. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So uh, they played at Legion Field, right? So they, they mixed it up. Sometimes they played at Legion Field, but a lot of the games were at Protective Stadium. Okay. The, the okay. brand new one. Right, right, right. I, I remember that. You're, so, you're right. So it, I'm trying to do research. It looks like in a way both XFL and USFL are have some sort of loose ties with the NFL, whether it's sharing some officials or technology and that sort of thing. I, just on rough, rough, quick research here, it looks like they both have a little bit to do with the NFL. And I, I think you've got to do that because there's just never going to be trumping the shield no uh and there was a pun intended by the way there uh (laughs) but but i I think that to work you have to acknowledge that you're just quite on a lower tier of football what i would be interested in and look some people (laughs) some people get a little crazy with the with the soccer stuff and wanting everything that soccer does to be coming into the the u.s and sports they want relegation and they want you know all these types of things and Go. I don't don't want it in the NFL. Uh-huh. When we get to these when when the SEC and the Big 10 just start taking up every major college football name and eventually we have one super conference, we'll get back to that. I would love <laughs> I would love to have relegation in different leagues and lend levels and all of that stuff, but like they do in European soccer, but any, anyway, continue. Well, I I am a tough sell on most things just just because soccer does them. Well, I like things other sports do too. <laughs> but what I will say would be interesting as I talk about the USFL and XFL is if they had some sort of partnership where their best team played the best team, oh, yeah. played the champion of the other league. Because, look, I know football is king in, in the United States, but I have a hard time believing both these leagues will survive. Like, to me, there's just the NFL is such a good product and look NFL has plenty of flaws we've talked about them in recent days I mean hell they they couldn't couldn't keep their feet on the damn field during the Super Bowl <laughs> half the time but for any problems the NFL has it's not mattered it, it grows almost every year I mean over a hundred million people watch the, the Super Bowl I mean you're you're not getting people to under any illusion that this these leagues can compete with the NFL. But what you've got to try and do is the, the partnership thing, which it was big that some of these USFL players made NFL rosters this past year. The returner for the Cowboys uh, was the USFL guy. P.J. Walker, Walker was the USFL yeah. guy. And, and there's several more that at least made rosters. That that part of it can, can help. But you still have a hard time selling me on that two leagues that are below the NFL are going to coexist and are going to – both survive unless they try to work together and maybe having some sort of tournament between the two leagues would help now maybe that just causes them to combine into one league eventually i don't know but i'm just saying this is a space that has been tried before this isn't the first time we've tried the xfl this isn't the first time we've tried the usfl they both died at one point for a reason so they've got to do some different things this time to survive but if you are in the football mood xfl does start this weekend i think the usfl waits till april 
or something like that. And the CFL is more of a summer thing. They, they can't play this time of year in Canada. It would be constantly 15 degrees uh, out there. It would uh, you, you would be just be praying for one 35-degree day for, for you to try and play. But uh, the football will, in fact, continue, just not in the – uh, top level of professional capacity. All right, also what to watch for over the weekend. We've had it on our TV in the studios all day. Tiger Woods is playing professional golf again. That is always going to get uh, some headlines brewing. He's a little bit uh, a little bit rusty today. That's to be expected. It's been over 200 days since he last competed in a professional event. Uh, but uh, he is one over, so he's kind of right around the cut line. Not a big deal on Thursday because the cut line it will change a lot between now and Friday. But uh, he is playing golf again, one over through 11 holes. Uh, this is the Genesis, uh, Genesis Invitational in uh, California. Uh, at Riviera Country Club. Uh, it's a tournament that uh, is, I think, the last or second last in the California swing. Then they start to head to Florida and have a Florida swing in March. But just exciting to see Tiger play golf again. You don't know how much more of this we got left. He's 47 years old. They were talking about the ball flight earlier today and or the ball speed, and his ball speed was like 170 miles per hour. And it's like on par with all the big hitters and – on the tour right now he's been driving at 320 when he's been able to get in the fairway pretty insane things obviously not playing well overall but again uh, tiger playing golf always going to be good for the game yeah I, I mean i've made it no secret that golf is not exactly my favorite sport it's it's been a a well-documented take on this show that i'm just not a big golf guy but it's impossible to ignore the dominance of tiger woods how freaking good he's been for so long and when he was at his peak how he just won everything. No one could keep up with him, and most of the time it wasn't even close. So uh, seeing him back out there, I think it is good for the sport. I think it's good for sports in general. I think he can make an argument for him as one of the greatest athletes of all time. He, you know, Every sport, you're, pick your, your Mount Rushmore, your top four. Tiger's going to be on a lot of those. So uh, I think having him back out there is fantastic for the sport as uh, we, get, we get going here. Yeah, and it, look, again, with Tiger at, at 47 after the, I mean, just ample injuries. I mean, injuries to back, neck, wrist, feet, ankle, knee. I just, I mean, it seems like just about everything but a concussion, which I don't know how you get in golf, uh, has befallen you, on you Tiger You fall down Woods. the hill. <laughs> You, you you flipped your cart, oh, I bro. guess. <laughs> but see, they don't even they don't use the cart. So on the PGA Tour, that's been one of the things is that you can get a med- people don't realize this. You can get a medical waiver to use a cart even on the PGA Tour, and Tiger has refused to do it because he says it would be kind of doing a disservice to the games. He doesn't want to beat those guys on a cart. He wants to beat them the right way. It's insane. I, I would t- <laughs> I, please just get in the cart if you'll play more golf and you'll be healthy. I, I don't care. But uh, he certainly always has moved the needle. He will also certainly never play full schedule again. Any non-major that he's playing in from this point forward is is uh, a little bit remarkable, honestly. But he is playing at the Genesis Invitational. Hopefully he can make the cut, be around for the weekend, and, and play four healthy rounds of golf. Uh, as well also more things coming up this weekend brant we've talked a lot about uh, sec basketball today uh, but some big ones in the sec this weekend uh, and just another big opportunity for some of these bubble teams in the southeastern conference yeah and obviously we're going to focus on auburn big one coming up with uh with vanderbilt not i mean it's tough to call it a must win i don't think any game is absolutely a must win but i think with uh with with the way that 
Auburn is playing right now, keeping up momentum, getting a win against Vanderbilt uh, would be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line real quickly. Just about nine or ten minutes left in the show. And next up on the show today, Anthony from Auburn. Anthony joins the program. Anthony, how are you doing? Doing good. You guys? Doing well. You had mentioned that uh, Tyler Woods could get a medical waiver uh, because of the condition of his leg to uh, get a, a card or something. Yes, uh, that's something that not a lot of people know about, but it's something that like Roy McIlroy and Justin Thomas have talked about. Is that they a lot of the players would be completely fine if Tiger uh, used a waiver and, and used a cart for these events, but he's just Tiger's just refused to do that because he he wants to compete like the other guys. I tell you, you know, times have sure have changed. I remember twenty years ago, there was a guy named Casey Martin. I think his last name was Martin, but I know his first name was Casey. He had some kind of birth defect or some kind of deformed leg, and he. Uh, wanted to use a cart and man they gave him all kind of trouble and this and that and unfair advantage and i mean just a whole lot of stuff they matter of fact they found a way to keep him from using a cart and i just uh go to show you how times have changed yeah i wasn't aware of that all, all like i said all i've been aware of is uh is that apparently i guess that rule has changed or or there's a special uh a, a special exemption in tiger's case because of the the, the broken leg and, and all that but uh, yeah, no, that that's from, I've heard that multiple times now from some of the players. Now, would all the players allow him to do that? I don't know. Just just the ones that have spoke publicly have said they would. Well, you know, a broken leg is one thing, but a birth defect or whatever being deformed like there's a whole nother ball game. You know, uh, I think Tiger Woods called it himself and them drugs or whatever he was on, speeding and driving like a bat from New Mexico or wherever he was going. I mean, you know, the lifestyle he living calls that, but. That guy couldn't help that condition he had as a birth defect or something as a child, growing up as a man, wanting to play golf, wanting to go toe-to-toe, jaw-to-jaw, compete with the competition. But but uh, people want to stop him, you know, hindering from playing. And that was wrong. But, but now you got exemption for this, man. Ain't that something? Well, have a good one. All right, Anthony. Well, again, Tiger has not actually used the exemption. So I uh, did want to, again, clarify there, Tiger not using the exemption. He is absolutely walking the course. Uh, not familiar with that other story, but uh, Anthony said it took place, you know, a long time ago, and things do change. Um, so don't know what the issue there with Tiger is, but oh well. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, Tiger competing this weekend uh, at the Genesis Invitational, and again, we'll only see him probably in a few more uh, tournaments throughout the year. Uh, I, I think also, so back to what we were just mentioning real quickly, uh, Brant, uh, before that call was. Uh, SEC basketball as well throughout the weekend because uh, again the SEC has all these teams that are not I mean some are on the bubble but a couple are just a losing streak away from being on the bubble this weekend's action number 10 Tennessee at Kentucky of course Kentucky on the bubble LSU South Carolina you can skip that one (laughs) 14 (laughs) and 12 Florida Visiting 17-9 Arkansas, that's the one that if Arkansas loses that one in a row, that's three L's in a row. That will send Arkansas towards the bubble. Mississippi State goes to Ole Miss. That's a rivalry. Mississippi State, though, cannot afford to lose that. Alabama hosts Georgia. Good opportunity for Alabama to get back on track. And then two 19-7 teams, Texas A&M and Missouri, and a very interesting one between, again, unranked teams. But uh, A&M at 11-2 in the SEC, absolutely still involved in the, oh, yeah. in the title race. So. Um, a lot of interesting stuff this weekend. For sure. Uh, and, I mean, if you're a college basketball fan, then you've got a lot to look forward to. If you're an SEC fan, there's a lot to look for here. 
Uh, like you said, A&M still very much alive, still looking for that double buy. Auburn's still looking for that double buy. I believe Missouri still has an outside shot at it, but Kentucky, or not really Kentucky, but Alabama and Tennessee pretty much almost locked theirs in. There, there's a lot of really good teams in the SEC, even if they're not in the top 25 right now. Yeah, well, and it, I mean, you talk about the double buy, Kentucky still, uh, really all those teams, so many teams are in it because beyond Alabama, A&M, and Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky at eight and five, and then Missouri, Vandy, Florida at seven and six. So really, all those teams have the opportunity over the last four or five games to sneak in there and get that get that four seed, get that double buy. All right, one other thing on what to watch for over the weekend. Mention it in the sports report: the Daytona 500 coming up this weekend, beginning of the NASCAR season. Fun little illustration from NASCAR on Twitter earlier this week to show you that. Uh, you know, the L.A. Coliseum where they ran the exhibition race, you could put five L.A. Coliseums in the middle of Daytona, and that's what it would take to reach one end of the track to the other. Uh, pretty silly. If you think the Coliseum's big, which it is for football, take five of those lengthwise to get all the way from one end of, of turn one, I guess, to turn three. So 500 coming up this weekend, dual races tonight. Interesting thing about NASCAR, which I'm sure all of you know if you've ever watched the sport, but the biggest event event in NASCAR is what starts it with the Daytona 500. Yes, the championship would technically be the, the biggest thing you want to win in a year, but always for the length of time that this sport has existed, its biggest race, the race that people want to win the most, is always at the beginning. Uh, and so that's this weekend in Daytona. And uh, I know I will be watching every lap. <laughs> <laughs> I think a big a big part of NASCAR that's the draw is every time you win, you get to celebrate like you just won a championship because yep. you probably you won some kind of trophy. You've won something that's big time. You know, it's and like you said, at the end of the day, the the effort is to be a champion. The effort is to win the entire thing. But just winning one race is such a massive accomplishment. Uh, in NASCAR so like you said winning the first one the first championship as it were uh, is a big deal and uh, we've had uh, the the pleasure of talking to Chris Buescher before here in this program Brett Holmes who of course went to Auburn he will be competing in the truck series he's going to run a full-time schedule this year would love to catch up with Brett at some point this year he's been running his own operation the truck series going from part-time to full-time this year uh, as he attempts to to qualify for the truck race, again three very distinct divisions of NASCAR there, uh, kind of functioning as a major, and then a couple of quote unquote minor leagues. Although the the top guys kind of interject at sometimes into those lower tiers, but Brett Holmes going to definitely be keeping an eye on him this year. Uh, very cool to have a Auburn connection uh, in the truck series, and the the NASCAR season is a long one, thirty six races plus an All Star race plus the exhibition. I mean, you're doing this thing for like nine months a year. Uh, and, and every sports. event is like six hours long. So there, yeah. there's there's a lot to do here. Yeah, if you include the pre-race, yeah, I mean, you've got uh, you've got several four-hour races and, and that sort of thing. So uh, definitely be worth watching. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we'll have to monitor the success of uh, Auburn's Brett Holmes as he goes through the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series this year. All right, just a couple minutes left now in the program. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. As mentioned, Daytona is a big event, and that means it's the only race to have its own qualifying races. 
The dual races are tonight, 6 o'clock on FS1. I think the first race scheduled for 6.15. That's how you actually set the lineup for the Daytona 500 if you're not first or second. Third through 36th all starts based off of how they finish in the dual races. So that will be coming up in just a few minutes on FS1. Also got women's college basketball at 6 o'clock on ESPN. It is unranked Louisville versus number 10 Notre Dame. Top 25 action in men's college basketball at 6 o'clock. Number two, Houston, who might want to stay number two because it's been a bad thing to be number one this year. Mm. Uh, Number two, Houston goes to SMU again, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. I'm pretty sure that SMU's had a, uh, a dreadful year this year in the AAC. 6 o'clock on ESPNU. A little Big South action. UNC Asheville versus Radford on ESPNU at 6 o'clock. And then the NBA, I think I said erroneously last night was the last night of the NBA before the All-Star break. No, there will be uh, another set of games tonight starting with 6.30 on TNT, the Chicago Bulls and the Milwaukee Bucks, and that is the nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Also forgot to mention on the what to watch for just NBA All-Star Weekend 2, mm-hmm. the slam dunk contest that gets worse by the year. <laughs> uh, just a bunch of nobodies. No offense to those guys. They're still professional athletes, but just a bunch of nobodies competing in the, in the dunk contest. Three-point shootout, which at least has some big names like Damian Lillard in it. Uh, is usually a lot of fun. The skills challenge, for whatever reason, the skills challenge does get some pretty big competitors, but people just do not want to go up in the air and dunk hard. Uh, more of a safety hazard there. And then the uh, the All-Star game coming up Sunday night. I feel like part of the thing with the dunk contest is, man, how many times can you put the ball through the hole? I feel like there's been so many, it's tough to to do something different now. Yeah. You know, So it's, it's tough for those big-name guys to say, hey, I'm going to put on a show and give you something you've never seen before. Yeah, although you can say, I mean, well, how many times can you make a three-point shot? Well, I don't know. I just – part of the wow – way, way more than most people right. if you're in, in that competition. <laughs> part of the way the, the dunk contest works is you just saw athletic things you'd never seen before, and that's what made them special, and it feels like you've, you've seen a lot of it now. Maybe if you got Ja Moran in there, you'd see something you hadn't seen, but – other than that, uh, it's kind of hard to, to be so repetitive. Out of time for the show today and, again, for the week. Brant, appreciate you being here, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for having me. Again, reminder, no show tomorrow. Auburn softball will be on our airways with a doubleheader starting in the afternoon, so that's where we will be. As always, we thank all those in, that tuned in and called in. For Brant Dontry, my name is Ryan Lavoy. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs>